Today's episode of the DC3Cast is brought to you by Comixology. Immerse yourself in over 20,000 digital comic books, graphic novels, and manga titles from over 125 publishers with Comixology. Our first-in-class exclusive guided view technology provides an unparalleled immersive and cinematic reading experience for readers. Purchase a la carte titles or start a monthly unlimited account to save 15% on select publishers. Still not sold? Try an unlimited subscription free for 30 days and see why thousands of readers trust Comixology for both classic and new releases from DC, Image, Marvel, and many, many more. Welcome back to the DC3Cast. My name is Brian, and with me, as always, are Vince and Zach. But we have another friend on the line tonight. Joining us is Multiversity Comics writer Alexander Jones. Hello, Alexander. Hey, guys. Thanks so much for having me. How's it going? It's it's going well. Thank you for coming back on the show. Uh, Alexander filled in earlier this year when Zach was off for a week. And uh, when we started plotting this out, I asked him, you know, what sh- what uh, event do you want to come on and talk about? And he said Seven Soldiers. And so we are here to talk about Seven Soldiers of Victory. So Zach and I were talking about this before uh, the show started, but I want to get everyone's answer on this. And Alexander, as the guest, I'm going to start with you. What was your experience with this book before reading it for this chat? You know, have, have you read it before? If so, approximately how many times did you read it when it came out? When did you come to it? You know, just sort of what's your origin story with Seven Soldiers? Um, I'm a huge Grant Morrison fan, so I've been trying to read basically, you know, almost everything he's written. I've always thought about uh, reading Seven Soldiers, but I remember, like, I, I started reading comics, like, in 2007, so shortly around, like, when this came out, and I just don't think I would have even, like, I don't think I would have even been able to to comprehend everything that was going on, uh, just because there's just so many characters, um, you know, in this book. So, like, when you when you had asked me about like some of the some of the comics that I thought about reading for the show, uh, th- this now was like my time to kind of dive headfirst into uh, Seven Soldiers, and I was really glad that I had like the the background, um, you know, of of reading so much so many other books, especially because like I I really do feel like if you know um, how Grant Morrison writes comic books if you have like previous exposure to that i really do think it it helps like with your enjoyment uh, of the title uh vince what about you when did you when did you first read this i first read it as it was coming out and i was still fairly new um to you know picking up a lot of monthly comics at this point so i didn't have a ton of context for any of the stuff that was going on, but reading it week to week, I, I, I really did think like, okay, th- there's stuff that I like here, but I don't know that I get what's going on. <laughs> um, <laughs> totally. So then 
I revisited. So this will be the this is the third time I read it. I've ever read it for this show. But I revisited it maybe three or four years ago, uh, in between some of my longer reading projects, and uh, I think it was because somebody at like CBR or so, you know before they went to hell um, was uh, was uh, writing about it or something. Um, and it, it made me want to read it again. And I read it again with like now with the benefit of years and years and years of DC knowledge. And I was like, Oh my God, I think, I think this is great. And now I read it a third time and we'll, we'll see how I feel about it this time. (laughs) And Zach? Zach? Oh, so I read this. Um, I actually went back and looked at my, uh, Amazon order history to confirm when I read this. Um, so I picked up all of Seven Soldiers and Final Crisis in June of 2009 and read them all together um, because I was very excited about Final Crisis. I, I don't remember exactly why. Um, I think I had read all of 52 at that point. Um, I knew that Grant Morrison was good and I knew that I liked him. Um, and I knew that Seven Soldiers was important to final crisis and so i wanted to read it all together and um i remember loving it i don't again like i i don't know how much i necessarily like followed or understood as far as everything um goes um but i definitely really liked it and i've read it at least i think one more time since then like pretty soon after within about a year or two so this is again i think like vince this is my third time reading it and uh zach was shocked to learn this this is my first time reading this (gasps) (laughs) apparently vince is shocked to learn it too oh my god Um, it's it's wild right (laughs) yeah as as i was telling zach before we started you know i i went through like a five-year period of not reading new comics at all and so this happened to fall right in the middle there. And so when I went back and started reading, um, sort of catching up, some of it was was practical catching up. Like, for instance, the concept that made me like, all right, I have to get back to reading monthly comics was Blackest Night. I was like, I want to read this. And so I mainlined all of the John's Green Lantern to get to Blackest Night, right? And so there was nothing that I felt like I needed to read Seven Soldiers to get to. Does that make sense? Like initially, um, and then mm-hmm. it's been on my to read list forever, but just there hasn't been an opportunity to do so. And so I'm glad I got to read it for this. Um, I have I have lots of thoughts on this uh, on, on this series, and I think a good place to kind of start talking about the series is that you know it's uh, Morrison has referred to it as a uh, a meta series or a mega series, but it's it's really it's structured like no other comic i can think of in that there is a central plot that sort of goes through all seven miniseries but not really each miniseries is a piece of a puzzle that when you put it together you get a complete picture but the pieces of the puzzle never really interact with one another and i I think that's very a little bit right very little pieces here and there um yeah and I think that's a really interesting way to construct a story, but I don't know. Like I, I'm not sure if a writer that didn't have Grant Morrison's pedigree could have gotten away with this at DC. 
This is certainly an odd way to structure a comic. Yeah, I I don't know how you guys read this. I have the four original trades that it released as, and there's a there's an intro by Morrison, and he kind of talks about how this project um, kind of spawned um, from him wanting to just work with a lot, kind of just reboot a lot of lower tier characters and and kind of set them up to just kind of take on a new life and he he had like two two notebooks full of about um a dozen or so different characters and and i just you know i i really wonder who some of the other characters he wanted to use were um but these seven were the ones that made the cut and it almost kind of sounds like it wasn't originally envisioned as this kind of meta narrative it kind of morphed into that um but it's just really fascinating the way it turned out and it's kind of you it really i don't think is comparable to any other thing that like DC or Marvel have ever really done in, in their main universes. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's like quite on the same scale, but I feel like there's a lot of parallels between this book and multiversity, especially how like there's the meta narrative and there's like all those different worlds that, that he sets up and they kind of converge towards the end. Like obviously this is just by, by the sheer um, weight of like the volume, there's like more material here. And then also, um, Zach, I was reading from like that same um, trade and I was kind of reading in that intro piece from Morrison. He was talking about how he like finished up, you know, he like finished up working on Batman. He had like a stab at Superman and then he wanted to try out like some of the like C and like D list characters. So this is like the group that he ended up with. Right. Yeah. And I think that I think that the the collection of characters here is, is really interesting and it's interesting to see what characters have carried on since this and which we and which characters we have not really seen outside of some other Morrison work, you know, um, mm-hmm. going forward. So um, let's, I guess, just jump right into Seven Soldiers number zero. So both both of the bookend issues are obviously written by Morrison, illustrated by J.H. Williams III. Um you know this this issue somewhat establishes a story that we're going to follow but it's really just little like vignettes that we see of different uh different characters we do get a chance to see the vigilante who's a character that will pop up here and there his seven soldiers team um which comes back at the very end of the story um <sighs> I just remembered something that I had meant to do before we recorded. Never mind. Is it important? Do you need to go? Well, it, it, it's kind of in, no, in, in terms of like prepping for this. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> kind of what you were get, getting into with like the vigilante and um, his seven soldiers. This book is like very heavily referenced on the Golden Age seven soldiers, particularly the story that ran in JLA 100 to 102. Mm-hmm. Um, like it's in in like great Morrisonian fashion um, builds like whole cloth on top of that in some really interesting ways, and I meant to reread that or okay. read it. I've never read it. Um, yeah, I've never read it, but it pull it does. I it pulls so much from it, especially yeah. especially the final issue. 
Seven Soldiers number one, which we'll talk about at the end. But mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, yeah. So, um, any any particular notes on that first issue? Man, it's like where do you even start? There's so much that's introduced in this first issue. But it's also stuff I, that doesn't necessarily like I I guess we have to talk about it here, but it feels like it's better spoken about in other parts. You know what I'm saying? Like it's 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 a weird issue to talk about. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, you that is why it's 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 it is a perfect zero issue. It's it makes perfect sense why it's a zero issue because like there are elements you're going to see pop up later, but but nothing that you read here is so uh, integral to anything that comes after it, really. Mm-hmm. Well, so we're, the big things were introduced to Slaughter Swamp, right. which is um, the swamp that Solomon Grundy is born out of. Mm-hmm. It's described as like a place that's out of out of sync with time out of sync with space uh, and time mm-hmm. yeah you we're introduced that out later we're introduced to this group of bald men in suits who grant morrison's made, yeah <laughs> seven grant morrison's um the time tailors yeah the time tailors were were introduced to a, a character we're, we're introduced to several characters who are part of the vigilantes a new seven soldiers team although there are only six who meet and one of them is pretty important for the rest of the story um thomas ludlow dalt i spider um he will talk about him a lot later i think yes um the 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 first issue is kind of told from the point of view of this character um Oh, I forget her name. Um, she she's kind of a dominatrix type superheroine. The, the whip. The whip. Yeah. The whip. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think my biggest takeaway from this, like zero issue, is that at the end of the issue, it starts to set up uh, like the prophecy of the the Sheeta, where there's like a prophecy where like a, a team of like seven people take down the Sheeta and on the last page of the zero issue, you can like kind of see like the, like they're holding guardians helmet. Like they're starting to like set up like the next, like the next team that's like going to take them down and fulfill this prophecy. Yeah. Cause yeah. you, cause the, the team in this book gets laid to waste by the end of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you don't figure out until much later in the in the meta narrative why this one didn't succeed where well where the you know future team maybe does mm-hmm. um, yeah I think it's a fascinating yeah. way to kick this off um, and that J H Williams art is fantastic. yeah can I talk can I talk about that a little bit before Please. we move on yes so okay I to me. Seven Soldiers is Grant Morrison's... It's not his best work. He's got like three or four works that are better than it. But it's his... I would maybe push back on that a little bit, but keep going. (laughs) Well, I love this book, first of all. Like, make no mistake. When I say something like that, I'm not saying I'm not head over heels for this because I love this thing to death. Um, 
but it is the most even including something like flex mentalo it is the most um it's the one that's the most comprehensive about its uh meta concerns about being a comic book i think i think um there's so much in here that he incorporates that he's used elsewhere in his career like the time tailors that are very obviously grant morrison you know mm-hmm. um he pulls like he pulls like stuff from his somewhat semi-adversarial relationship with alan moore into this i feel like i feel like there's more alan moore references throughout this i feel like there are things in here that remind me of promethea and i just read promethea the artist in promethea was jh williams and jh williams is using obviously they're his techniques but he's doing things in here that are very much akin to what we saw in promethea and there are like thematic elements that are straight up stuff from Promethea, like just the way the world looks in this first issue uh, when the whip first, when you first see the whip swinging around the city, uh, she's fighting against these like uh, cops or whatever that are bouncing around on these futuristic pogo sticks and behind them, are just like tons of like impossible skyscrapers as far as the eye can see. That page could be out of Promethea, like just from a design sensibility, from an aesthetic sensibility. Uh, they talk about it being the world of super cowboys, um, which is what she refers to herself and Vigilani as. Mm-hmm. That reminds me of Alan Moore's science heroes from his america's best comics they're not called superheroes they're science heroes it's it's a little thing but it, it it's it's this tapestry of the history of comics kind of weaving through this thing there's a little bit of watchman vibes in this as well like they talk a lot about um you know previous superhero teams and the generations that would come beyond that are relatives to the heroes from the golden age very much Minutemen. uh there's a crimebusters bit of a vibe to this like new seven soldiers team exactly that comes together yes um the, to the point where like some of them have written books about their time in the golden age just like the under the hood book that hollis mason wrote so like there's tons of that stuff through this whole thing and jh williams feels like i know he's just a great artist and he and he entered dc stable around this time but like to me, that's such that's such like an intentional. I I don't know like. I, this wait this was maybe even before I I have to look up the the timeline on this but um, all I'm saying is like it's woven with the fabric of comics meta narratively. Oh no, Promethea was before this, in a way that, um, I feel is very intentional and like more comprehensive than than. Morrison has ever done in his career. And that's what I want to say about this first. I feel like this first issue sets all of that up for you. So the one thing I want to say about this first issue, which really has to do with the last issue, but again, as like cyclical and uh, how much of an Ouroboros this is, like we have to talk about it here. We just finished recording an episode, which our listeners will have heard by the time this comes out about the new comics that we've been reading. And one of the, one of the books we talked about was Three Jokers, and Vince had pointed out that 
Jay Fabok had all this time to sort of do what he wanted to do with this. And Jay Williams, the, the last issue of this was very delayed. It was like six months delayed because it took so long to draw. But I feel like with the first and last issues, you get the same sense of like Morrison gave Williams as much time as he needed to tell the story. And because of that, you get this, this incredibly dense, rich book that does not seem like one quarter of any panel was rushed. Everything was just done deliberately, and it really serves the tone of the book. Yeah, absolutely. All right, well, let's jump into the first miniseries, which is Shining Night, which is written by Morrison, illustrated by Simone Bianchi. Bianchi? Bianchi? I'm going to go with Chi. Um, so it, it, it's interesting to be reading this uh, now, have, having just finished watching Stargirl, which brought the which brought Shining Knight into it uh, in the tail end there. But it brought in uh, Sir Justin, not the, uh, the the female Sir Justin, which is who we get from, from this story. Um, obviously, I have read other Shining Knight stories, uh, you know, Demon Knights being the most prominent one. And so I knew that reveal going in. But I think that these the four issues do a really nice job of bringing you up to that revel revelation that um that justin is not exactly who they appear to be um this issue has some fun i mean this series is some fun like x-files vibes with that there's the interrogation scene there where you realize the one interrogator is actually uh a villain and it's in this book i think of all of the four initial miniseries uh that we get from this i think shining knight is the one that does the best job of introducing the meta narrative and sort of the stakes here would you guys agree with that mm -hmm. yeah yeah i think there was maybe a reason that this series came first and was kind of you know, it's the one that started first and wrapped first, I think, and kind of laid down the foundation that all the other books really kind of fleshed out. Um, but yeah, kind of the core central conflict with uh, the Sheeta and the the Queen, Gloriana Tenebrae, and the Revolving Castle, the Cauldron, um, all, all of those things. Um, very foundational and rippled out to some of the other series the the dawn the undying dawn um um Don the horse's Shand. name vanguard vanguard yeah i think the shining knight series does a great job kind of like switching uh you know genres and like time periods too uh, it's just really interesting like seeing like shining knight just like walking down like the streets of um you know like a city and being like uh, abducted like by the police it's just like it, it doesn't feel like too hokey and it's it's kind of like bordering like the edge and it's really interesting too like how uh you know like in in, in his time period the series is like just like so dark and it has to lighten up a little bit but it doesn't lighten up like to the point where it, it isn't dark anymore it it really it it has a fascinating kind of balance in in tone that i think morrison does like a really good job of like towing the line in 
throughout like this mini series. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. And talking about kind of like the tone and the style beyond she, I think is like a very good fit for this book. Um, it, it has kind of a European style to it. Mm-hmm. Feel like very heavy metal esque. Um, yeah. So I, 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 I like the art in this book a lot. I think it, it's very distinctive and, and fits the, the tone of the book really well. Yeah. I also, I also want to say that I think, uh, Bianchi's art does a nice job, like Alexander was saying, of sort of bridging the different time periods. I think that mm-hmm. the way that Justin is drawn throughout the book never really changes, but as you see the different settings, your understanding of Justin changes. And it would it would be easy for that to have been an artistic decision, but I think it's it's a much more uh, if the impact of the revelation hits you more because nothing really changes visually, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just yeah. really, really, really well done. Um, we also meet the, uh, the, the unicorn. No, that, that's right, the Pegasus. A Pegasus. Uh, also known as Pegasus, correct? Pegasus. Which is... Uh, so that's the original one. That's the original one. This is their, like, offspring. Right, right. But it's, it's a descendant of, of Pegasus. Which is an yeah, amazing much like name. the rest of the seven soldiers. Yes, uh, just just an amazing, amazing name. And um, what did you, Vince? I guess because you were you were the only person who read this contemporaneously. What was your feeling about the revelation that Justin was, you know, uh, what was not a man but a, a woman posing as a man? Um, I. I I'm trying to be careful with my language here. I don't want to say that the character is necessarily transgender because I don't know if it's if it's ever presented that way or if if the character is simply trying to pose as somebody else. I don't want to put intention behind that. Yeah, and I can't remember what they ended up doing. I think they dealt with that in Demon Knights. I think so as, too, but as well, but I can't remember what was yeah, I can't remember what was decided about that. But but regardless, um I mean I don't really remember what I thought about it at the time. Um, I, I'm. It's kind of like your. Uh, what there have been like Hollywood stories about that, mm-hmm. a girl trying to play football or whatever, you know. <laughs> or, Mulan, little giants you know, just came out. <laughs> yeah, Mulan. Yeah, yeah, little, little giant. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think I probably thought of it on those terms, you know. But like this time around, that reveal like. What really struck me is is how well uh, Simone Bianchi's art d- dealt with that, and like there were multiple characters where th- they were given a very like androgynous or not necessarily like like you know it, it, it's it's done very well, um, and in and not in like a cliche or problematic way, you know, it's, yeah. it's very matter of fact, it's very true to life depiction, uh, I think. Um, and I think like really respectful the way that it's all handled, I think, you know, there's the potential for things like that to feel very dated in, in comics. Yeah. Imagine that, you know, <laughs> um, sure we can't think of dozens of examples but um but yeah i I thought that was handled really well yeah i agree um 
Another thing I wanted to mention real quick was um, I love the way that this series, and specifically The Shining Night, but it, it kind of permeates because every book permeates one another in in, in some form or fashion. Um, I love the way that Morrison pulls in like ancient Arthurian legend mm-hmm. into this. I mean, that shows up in, in, in other books too and in in the finale as well, but like he goes deep with that stuff and there's no way that I would have understood that stuff without consulting like Wikipedia's or whatever. But to see the, the, the lengths he goes to like adapt for no reason other than to, to just be accurate. He adapts like actual Arthurian poems, like old Welsh, uh, dialect, into this story but sort of manipulates it so that it also fits with the seven soldiers backstory it's really it's really deep and if you want to read some good writing on that um shelf dust did a series of essays about every book in this series and uh, particularly just just for shining night i want to highlight i hope i pronounced the name right but if not i apologize uh emma Quibua did some writing did all the essays on Shining Night, I think. And there's some, they're magnificent essays, wonderful writing, very detailed, goes very deep into Shining Night and way beyond what you would think that this book even means. <laughs> and so I, I urge everybody to go read those if they check out Shining Night or if they check out Seven Soldiers. But um, just really impressed with the depth that Morrison goes uh, into that old, old-timey stuff. And I think that's that's worth mentioning here. I feel like for most Grant Morrison comics, there's a lot of research that you don't necessarily see show up on the page. But you know, when I when I spoke to him about the Green Lantern Volume One, he talked about just all the research he had done to sort of get ready to write that comic. And I feel like that's something that really sets him apart. Is that I think a lot of times you'll see people do research and then directly use that research on the page whereas morrison doesn't always do that here he kind of does a little bit like you said vince with some of the arthurian Mm -hmm. poems and all that but it's just it shows you just how deep he goes into into thinking about this stuff in ways that are just absolutely beyond what most comic writers do there's like so many elements on every page like right now i'm looking at the issue to reveal of the identity and Justin is like recounting uh, the Knights of, of Camelot. And then in the background, there's like a barbecue joint because they're like in, in modern day. It's just like, it's, it's crazy how many ideas are just like on uh, one, one page. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I really liked that just juxtaposition of time frame in this, in this miniseries in particular. Yeah. And then to throw in, like, in between all of that, you throw in this, like, Italian mob stuff with the yes. Don Vincenzo. Uh, and, of course, he's a former member of the Newsboys, so there's a link to stuff that's going on in basically every other book. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's just why, like, I'm sure when I read it the first time, I was like, what? why are we spending any time with this guy? And then, like, w- when you're older and you... N- 
you know, see how comics work a little more and, and you're just more well read, like then you see all these pieces coming together and it makes sense. Sure. And that's what I think is just so, you know, so impressive about the series um, is just how well like each book reads on its own, but also just how masterfully interconnected it all is and all of the Easter eggs that are just so satisfying when, when you see the whole picture and the, the stories within the stories. Um, It's just, and stuff that I definitely did not pick up on, on previous readings. Um, There's so much that I I got from this. It was almost kind of like reading a, a book for the first time um, just with how much, uh, just how, how, how much depth and how many layers there were. Yeah. Every that's interesting what you say about how it reads it reads well on its own. It does because each and every one of these is almost like its own exploration of a certain genre. Yes, absolutely. But, but when other writers do that or when other projects do that, it's just about that. But this is not about that at all. It's about this overarching meta narrative. They just happen to be in these seven different genres. Yes. It's yeah. wild. I love yeah. it. <laughs> uh, anything else to say about um, about Shining Night? No, no. I I really liked it. I think I I tried to do like a, a ranking in my head of these of kind of where they shake out, um, and it's really difficult. But they're because they're all so good. Um, but I th- I think this one ranks towards the top for me. Uh, yeah. I, I'm not going to reveal my rankings yet because I feel like they have uh, I, I want to save that for later but but we'll talk sure. about that later uh, so next up is the Manhattan Guardian series and I have to say so Vince and I I think Zach was on the show but I know it was between Vince and I we're, we're talking about something one time and I referred to the Guardian and you said no the Manhattan Guardian and I said no it's the Guardian and I didn't even know what you were talking uh, about with the Manhattan Guardian. Yeah, uh, I remember that. That was we, pretty recent. Yeah, we were talking about something that definitely wasn't the Manhattan Guardian. Now that I've read this, it definitely wasn't the Manhattan Guardian. It was just the Guardian. No. Um, yeah. And uh, so ever since then, I was like, I wonder what Vince meant by that. Well, now I know what you meant by that. So <laughs> That's what I meant by that's that. Yeah. that. Uh, this is uh, written by Grant Morrison, illustrated by the now-canceled Cameron Stewart. Um, and... There's one like very small bit of of interesting note here with the covers to this. So the first issue of this is almost the exact same cover that Morrison would use for Action Comics number zero in the New Fifty Two. Like Guardian and um, Superman are both jumping out of like a a newspaper in the exact same pose, and then. Issue number four of this has almost the exact same cover that Morrison would use for the multiversity story about the like the one that was kind of like a gossipy book about like the young heroes. Uh it's like it's a very, the very just. the just, yes. It's a very, very similar cover. And I, I just I wonder if that's just coincidence or if if Morrison was re- was referencing these stories in those much later books. Just, I don't, go ahead. There are like 
these similarities between like this work and you know some of his like other works like i mean i'm i'm like speaking of like shining night like i'm i'm kind of like catching like joe the barbarian vibes like you know the visuals in um the the zero issue are reminding me of uh uh grant morrison's like batman run uh there you know like like promethea again i you know i know i know it's all coming like from from you know his mind you know people kind of have like similar ideas that are like reinforced in in later books and i kind of think like probably like a lot of it like was intentional but i don't really know if all of it is i just wonder if like some of the like the similar ideas are being fleshed out in like other stories right and once you know that somebody is self-referential you think everything's a reference even if it's not necessarily a reference um but anyway so i loved so much of of this i to me this is the funniest of the uh of the miniseries i believe um specifically like in the first issue we are in the underground in new york and we see these different pirates and they have names like no beard and all beard <laughs> which that's, I, that's alan moore and uh graham morrison again yeah exactly um but I love that you know, I love that there's a fucking golem bodyguard <laughs> that that he has to fight in the first issue. Um, you know, in, in the third issue, uh, a character kills a bunch of people and wonders if he took the verisimilitude too far. Like there's just there there's a lot of really really funny stuff in this issue <laughs> uh, in these issues. Um, it's also in a way the most Jack Kirby. Of these, oh, definitely. Of these, uh, partly because you know the Newsboy Legion and the Guardian are things that have uh, you know roots in Kirby. Um, yeah, I, I think if that you th- if you squint the head of the the head the, the the floating head of the news uh, of the Guardian owner or whatever kind of looks yeah. like yeah, kind of looks like Kirby. Yeah, if you if you squint. Yeah. Um, but th- this story is about so the there's a newspaper called the Manhattan Guardian. They bought the rights to the Guardian character from Cadmus when Cadmus went under, and so they are looking to hire a basically an in, an in-house superhero slash reporter, and that is what we get here. Uh, to me, this is maybe the most tonally distant from Shining Knight. So when you're reading the issues. In chronological order, you read Shining Night one and the Manhattan Guardian one. It's a huge tonal leap. Um, that's not a bad thing. I, I just think that these two series maybe feel the most different. Maybe Bulleteer and Shining Night are the most different, but it, it, they they feel quite quite different. Uh, do you guys agree with that? Yeah, I mean, yeah, they're very different because you know Shining Night is this um, you know big high fantasy sword and sorcery thing and then this is very much like street level uh kind of very i this is channeling this this is channeling totally different things it's it's street level but it's also got that kirby uh that's very specific like kirby street level but there's also a little bit of the the science science fiction hero thing going on a little bit too not not quite as much as some of the other series but um you know the stuff with like the the robot ellis island and um (laughs) the 
um is it ed Starsgard, the the head of the yes mm-hmm. um the manhattan guardian who's a a, a, who's a super baby. smart baby yeah yeah um yeah it's good like i think i think the the arc for this character his name is what is it it's jake jake jordan mm-hmm. jake jordan he's kind of a he's an interesting character you know he's a, a a disgraced cop um because he um killed a, a young boy um because he he thought that he was a drug dealer who had killed his partner um and and dealing with the shame um of you know what had kind of happened and and kind of finding this renewed purpose and, and you find out that it's uh, it was kind of orchestrated by his his father-in-law who was also a, a newsboy part of the newsboy army with uh with stars guard so uh again just all these layers and things a, a very a very good origin i think this might be my favorite of the origins in all of seven soldiers i could see that yeah, I, I think every sto- every all seven of the stories are good, but some of them are significantly better at certain aspects. Mm-hmm. And and I think you're right, Zach. Like this is this is one of the better origins. And then the the other interesting thing I want to mention about the structure of these up front is most of them are kind of structured as like two stories within uh four yes. issues yes this so this like, is definitely one and two telecomplete story and three and four telecomplete story yep which it's it's not really the point of the meta narrative but it's a point that i want to make about it is that like this series is so good at proving that you don't need like decompression is not necessarily something that needs to happen with every origin or whatever every origin these days is like or like we complain about miniseries all the time six issue miniseries you know we know exactly how they're going to be structured we Mm -hmm. feel when we when when it's announced you know here you get an origin within at most two issues and then the next two issues can be about something completely different and then in four issues it's told two separate stories with an overarching story that goes with the seven soldiers narrative. It is insane how much Grant packs into these things. And I just wish that like, it's proof that it can be done. So like when you, when you want to like reintroduce a character, when you want to do a reboot or a reimagining or, or revisiting a character or a new creative team hops on, it doesn't have to take that long before you get, the the wheels under you and you're and you're running you know like the all seven of these books pretty much do that yeah it's amazing it is yeah i think that's like a really tremendous point i mean there's just so much that is like accomplished in these four issues and i feel like if this came out today by like any other writer like it would have maybe half the plot uh you know there's it's 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 so crazy too um kind of piggybacking off what we like introduced towards the beginning of the other other discussion like there is this gets so crazy dramatic um especially like towards the the end of the miniseries and you know there's like a subplot involving uh pirates you know there's the newsboy legion connection i mean it's just it's just staggering 
how much uh, content is here. And I don't really think it ever kind of feels like overstuffed or that, you know, there's there's too much on the page. Uh, I, I, I think it's structured just incredibly well going off that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Definitely. absolutely. Um, just a few meta narrative points um, from the, to to pick out from Manhattan Guardian. Um, you know, mentioned that there's two Newsboy Army members who are uh, featured in this series. We see um, a a place that the pirates are going to where they find a a dice. <laughs> A die, I guess I should say. Uh, a die, yes. A, a die um, that is very important for things that are going to come later on and is going to intersect specifically with uh, Clarion. Um, I'm trying to remember if there are any other big kind of meta narrative points here. I think those are the main ones. Um, yeah, you get you get a little bit about the terrible time, Taylor. Um. Towards yes, the end? you do, and his interaction with the Newsboy Army. Yeah, yeah, um, that's true. Oh, that was that is in this issue book, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. The 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 way that things kind of turned out with them, which was very, very dark, and that's yep. going to play a lot into the arc in Z- Zatanna. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. Because uh, yeah, Ali Kazum plays uh-huh. a big role in that one too. Yeah. yeah. God, I love how it just, it's so good. How it over, it is. <laughs> it's so good. And yet I feel like 90% of people would read this and be like, what the fuck is this? Sure. No, it's not for, like, okay. We, we just talked about uh, how the three jokers is not for the three of us. Right. That's because, that's because shit like this is. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Oh man. Any other Manhattan guardian comments? One last thing. Sure. The even though I read this like maybe three or four years ago, there was so much of it that just di- didn't stick in my mind. Um, that like rereading it, oh yeah, okay, I'm remembering all this stuff. The one thing that sticks in my, my mind from this entire series more than anything else, the thing that I, I can, I can, I have been able to picture it in my mind since the first time I read it you know, 15 years ago or whatever is the guy with the back tattoo getting his skin ripped off so Ooh. that they can have the map. Yep. I've thought about that image constantly for 15 years. <laughs> that's, that's one I will never forget. Probably the most memorable thing in this whole series for me. It's All right. kind of in the shape of guardian shield almost. I don't know if I'm reading too much into that. No, I, yeah. that's an excellent point. There's all kinds of little stuff like that that, like, upon my third time reading it, stuff I've never noticed or considered. It's it's crazy. This is like a Desert Island comic, to be sure. Oh, yeah. It, it's so rereadable. Yes. Yeah, it's funny. Reading it through this time... I was like, I can't wait to reread this one day. <laughs> but, yes, yeah, you know, you it's have just... to basically. Yeah, exactly, uh, and I think that that is both a, a a good thing and in a couple of places a not so good thing about this comic, which we'll, we'll talk about in a little while. Um, right, next up is Zatanna, uh, written by Morrison again, illustrated by Ryan Sook. 
Um, so in, in this, this is the of all of these, I would say this is the only one of the miniseries. I'm just checking my notes quickly here before I say this. I guess Mr. Miracle somewhat falls into this category, but I'd say this one is the one that you most benefit from having knowledge of the DC Universe going into this one. She talks a lot about being a member of the Justice League, and, you know, you. I feel like there's a lot of really good callbacks to older DC stuff in this series. Um, this, is, this is very much still following up on her post-identity crisis status yeah, quo. That was my next note, which is that I never thought that we'd get Morrison referencing identity crisis, but very much there's a direct – at one point she says something like, you know, I have I have changed minds essentially. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it, it's surprising to me that there's still infinite identity crisis riffs in these – in other stories. Um, but – this this story is really it, even though it is a Zatanna story, it's really a Misty story, her apprentice, um, and I liked that because I feel like, you know, when Morrison talks about rehabilitating, sort of lesser characters, I feel like Zatanna is not at the same level as the rest of these characters. Zatanna is a more important more crucial character so when when i had read that essay before starting this i was like well i don't know if it counts zatanna in that category and then when you read this you kind of realize oh it's not really a zatanna story it's it's a misty story and that makes a little bit more sense then i think i i i think it is still a zatanna story though well but what i guess what i mean is that he's not giving you too much new he's not changing zatanna much no yeah, you know, you know and, what I'm saying. Like, it's just it's uh, the other the other stories are all introducing or changing characters in a major way, yeah. and Zatanna but is not he really does changed kind here. Of, he does kind of rehabilitate her though, in the literal sense. Sure. I mean, with this being kind of like the big post identity crisis Zatanna story. In his essay, he kind of talked about how he wanted to add supporting cast members. I definitely think he did that with Misty. Yes, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, to, to Brian's point, this the rest of the series are more a delivery mechanism to get the, the main character to the Seven Soldiers finale, whereas this one is more of a mechanism to get Misty to the Seven Soldiers finale finale yes. even though even though she's not one of the seven soldiers that's mostly the role that that it plays yeah i mean you're you're both right but like yeah i see what brian's saying yeah i mean just like misty to me is more like a meta narrative character than i mean she obviously like plays a big role in zatanna story but she's also you know not even in the last issue very much Right, until um, the final page, yeah. Yeah, it's um, most it's about like Zatanna and kind of dealing with her legacy and her I guilt also, and, and all of that. I also wonder if Zatanna was the one that maybe he was allowed to do the least with as far as I mean that's pure speculation on my part, but like 
the rest of these were characters that were essentially not being used. If you say that like Shiloh Norman as Mr. Miracle was not a thing. Um, but like Zatanna was still very much in and out of the DCU constantly at that point. So, so yeah, I do wonder kind of similar to that Vince. I wonder if Morrison had a list of, you know, let's say 10 characters he wanted to work with. And they said, well, you know, you have plans for wonder woman, but you can't use her, but you can use Zatanna instead. Like, Mm. I, I wonder if that was the quote, the big gun, he was able. He was allowed to use by DC. Yeah, yeah, that could be. Um, I'm, not, I'm not saying for Wonder Woman. I'm just, that was just an example of you know that he was he was limited with who he could use. So, mm-hmm. um, so let's see what else I want to talk about with Zatanna. Um, so I, even though we've we've discussed. Identity crisis more than I would like to in general. Um, I do think it's important to somewhat talk about sort of how how identity crisis informs this. You know, Zatanna is very depressed when we see her here, and she calls herself a spell addict, and she is she is grappling with her place in sort of in the superhero and the magic community. She says a number of times like. I'm done with being a superhero. I'm just going to go back to being a magician on stage. But she obviously has this like intrinsic heroic nature to her. And I think that one of the good things about this particular miniseries is that she doesn't have this like cliched moment of now I've overcome all of my demons and I am ready to fight again. Like it all happens very gradually and I think it's 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 nice and subtle and yeah, I. Uh, what do you guys want to say about this? Sook art, man. Yes. Yeah. I actually he... want to speak to that point. I forgot that how much this is informed by identity crisis, but it was weird to me to see a Zatanna story where she's kind of like self-loathing. You know, I, I really think the the whole spellaholic thing just. Just like the way that that's phrased in in the issue, like really put me off and and kind of got me like like with a with a bad first taste of this. Like I'm not against a like a more angsty um, Satana. Like I think uh, in uh, Justice League Dark, there's you know she's she's a little bit darker than I think we usually see her like portrayed as, but. Just you know, the, the the way she kind of like wallows in 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 her pity just isn't really what I wanted to see with her character. Like I know it's pretty common to get you know when you start stories, people are kind of like down on their luck and then they they overcome something. But in it's 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 not that I wanted to see like just just you know her in kind of like fun odd situations all the time. But I just kind of wanted like a more uh, balanced approach where she isn't like knocking off like Constantine or like. Something like that. Um, also, like I, I feel like this is like there's pages where where Ryan Sook like is how we remembered him being, but especially like in some of the later issues, I, like I'm not sure if he's if if he's he's just rushed or he didn't have the time or maybe he's just earlier in his career. But I think some of his newer work is like even better than this. But I mean, there's pages of this that are just downright beautiful still. 
that that your point about like her being like more self-loathing and and down on herself is a good one and i think like since you since you mentioned that i think i was maybe just like like reading this it didn't really strike me as odd just because i feel like this is kind of the status quo kind of just like trademark affect for all of the magic characters in the dcu post like new 52 um with like the advent of justice league dark like especially like since constantine got added back into the dcu and so i think the constantine effect on zatanna i i think that's just kind of how i associate the character now and all these magic characters are like self-loathing and and mad at how much they depend on magic and all the sacrifice that they make so i I almost like didn't even really like think about that as being out of the ordinary, but when you bring it up, it it I, de- I feel like it definitely is more of a recent thing. Yeah, I think I you can tell me if I'm giving uh, Grant Morrison a little too much credit here, but I do kind of feel like there's an undercurrent running through this entire series, um where where it's it's almost riffing a little bit on the seriousness of comics at the time or trying to give superheroes pathologies i think he's either i really do feel like that's a thing but he he may just be either being like too over the top with it or too subtle because and what i mean by subtle is like blending in too much with what else was going on at the time because like, it's kind of a hack idea to put to put a superhero in a like a mental health support group. Yes, in some ways. And so like to me, I look at that and I go, well, either he's doing the same thing that a lot of writers were doing around this time, or he's kind of lampooning it a little. But who, I mean, maybe that's giving him too much credit. Maybe he's succumbing to the same uh, problems that other writers were. You know. Um, but I think about like the Bulleteer series too, which we'll get to. There's a lot of this like, oh, superheroes are very messed up people with these like weird sexual pathologies, and um, you know, and everybody who's not a superhero is also horny. <laughs> they're you know, and like, or they're depressed. There was a lot of stuff in the Zero issue about the Whip, um, uh finding me you know finding the only meaning in life in in beating up costumed supervillains or something like that there's a lot of this like watchman-esque pathology running through some of these characters and i feel like either it's grant doing that intentionally or making a rare mistake with this series in leaning a little bit too heavy into it and being being too serious about it part of that may come down to the fact that we talked about this before a little bit, how each of these seven are sort of in their own genre. And so you have to work to differentiate the the series from one another. And so maybe he just saw this as that this has the most potential to be dramatic. Right. And Mm -hmm. so that was a choice just to make the series feel different and, and more unique than some of the others. Like you sure. couldn't, you couldn't necessarily, and because you know Zatanna the most as a reader, you know there is, there is just there's more. It's easier to derive pathos for her because she's a known quantity. Yeah. 
one quick one quick fun thing I wanted to mention was uh, Zatara goes on Letterman in this. <laughs> yes, I knew and you were going to bring just, that up. <laughs> yeah, I'm just imagining like imagine what if Zatanna played uh, Know Your Cuts of Meat or Z- Zatara did a trick and and Dave was like, uh, is this anything? <laughs> what would what would the uh, the CBS orchestra have played while Zatara walked out? Oh, uh, he's a magic man. Okay, I was thinking that uh, I forget who does it. It's 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 a it's like a yacht rock one hit wonder. The oh oh oh, it's magic. Oh, it's magic. Oh, that you was uh, Steve Buscemi in The Wedding Singer. <laughs> uh, no, you're thinking of uh, that's from Happy Gilmore. That's oh, Happy Gilmore, oh so. shit! What did, get, what, did, what did Steve Buscemi sing? He sang um, "Spando Ballet is True." Yes, that's right. I know this one's just true. Yes. Robbie and Julia. Exactly. God damn it! Voiced again by my own petard. Hey, if you want, <laughs> Alexander. Come- Oh, sorry. I was gonna say, if you want to come at me with some fucking '90s Adam Sandler trivia, you better be on the ball, okay? <laughs> please, please let me sleep in your bed. <laughs> uh, Alexander, you wanted to say something? I think I cut you off there. Oh yeah, um, I was just gonna say that he did in that essay. He names drops uh, Watchmen and the Ultimates, which which I think is like really funny, and I think it's valid to have. That's a different characterization of uh, Zatanna here. I don't. I don't really have a problem with that. I just, man, like when when I was reading this for the first time and I just read the word spellaholic, I, I it's, yeah. it's hard for me not to not to cringe. I I don't think this whole miniseries like makes that mistake. Like especially towards the end, I th- I, I do feel like it gets it gets pretty pretty dramatic and and we start going away from that territory a little bit more. Uh, I I just wanted to like introduce some of those ideas. Sure. Yeah. I, no, yeah, you're totally right. And I, I I, would not have been able to say that Ultimates was what I was talking about. But after you said that, that's exactly what I mean by like superhero writers at the time who were giving heroes like real life pathologies and but but playing them up in the like Spellaholic would totally be from the Ultimates. That's yeah, that, that makes so much sense. Mm hmm. Um, I did want to say I really enjoyed the stuff with Zatara in this. Um, I feel like Vince just spent a good chunk of time talking about how he doesn't like when people talk to dead characters, uh, talking about a Batman Joker War thing. Um, but I really liked this the Zatara Zatana stuff. So I hate you, Brian. What that, that I point out that you you can't have your cake and eat it too. Hmm. <laughs> <clears throat> Zach, anything uh, else from this one? Yeah, quick, quick meta narrative stuff. Uh, we're introduced to another one of the seven uh, artifacts, um, which I, I don't know if we've really talked about that as being a thing, but we've seen some of them so far, like Excalibur and the Cauldron. Um, uh, this one introduces uh, Gwydion, which is a um, an early version of. Merlin, who is the letter G, and he is in all—he's in all things. He's Zatanna's perfect boyfriend. He lives in a jar for most of the series, um, which is very good. And uh, Misty, um, the kind of major sidekick in this arc, is uh, has a very important tie to the to the main villain, the the Sheeta Queen. 
um, which I guess we can talk about that now, or we can wait a little bit sure, later. Go, go off, go for it. Yeah. So this, I I really like this little sub arc. Um, this is big, uh, like riffing pretty heavily on um, Cinderella, <laughs> not Cinderella. Yeah. Sleeping no. Beauty. Cinderella. It is no Sleeping Beauty. Oh, if you say so. The whole like magic mirror and the Huntsman and everything. That's that's Sleeping Beauty. That is Sleeping Beauty. Oh, it the is. Huntsman, the um, Huntsman is Snow White. Is the Huntsman Snow White? It is. Okay. Okay. So it's mixing all these fairy tales then. Um, the Huntsman is Snow White, but the magic mirror is Sleeping Beauty. Yeah. That's Snow yeah. White. That's Snow White and also. isn't 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 Wicked? Is it really? Step- it's Snow White also, guys. Isn't isn't Wicked stepmother Cinderella? You're right. Wicked Scent Mother is Cinderella, White. but it's Maddie also is in it's, here correcting it's Snow White. Me. It's all Snow White. It's Snow White. Yeah. I am Snow the White. father of a of a Disney obsessed daughter. It is Snow White. Trust me. <laughs> okay. Okay, so it's all seven Snow White. dwarfs. So, oh my god. Seven dwarfs. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. For real. Yes. Look at, you don't even have to read it a fourth time to discover something new. <laughs> yeah. So, so. So yeah. Okay. So no, forget I said Sleeping Beauty or Cinderella. It's all riffing on Snow White. Um. So. Misty is the daughter of Grant's a fucking genius. Uh, of of uh, Gloriana, the Sheeta Queen, and Melmoth, who is a character we'll meet later. Um, the Queen, um, kind of fearing for her own sovereignty and and reign, orders her huntsman, who is Nebulo, um, who is a whole thing that. <laughs> Again, we can talk about now if we want to, as sure. good a time as any, um, sends her huntsman to kill Misty, whose real name is uh, Rhiannon, and bring back her brain. Um, but he <laughs> he is unable to do it. He's just um, enamored by her beauty and purity. And so he instead takes the brain of a 31st century uh, telepathic savant and uses that to trick Gloriana into thinking that Misty is dead. And he uh, strands Misty in the present-day Earth, where she goes and tracks down uh, Zatanna. Um, so that's the whole thing. Nebulo is a reimagining of the old villain Nebula Man, who Grant also reimagines as kind of the mid form between his little universe character uh his baby universe that's introduced in his jla um so just it's wild it's just all wild yes and i believe nebula man correct me if i'm wrong but wasn't he a player in that uh jla did you did you say that yeah, he yeah. was the villain in that. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Yes. yeah, in that Seven Soldiers story. Yeah. Uh, I think he's been in other stuff too. Uh, For sure. But Grant creates, he, he both, he takes that character, attaches it to another concept that he had introduced in another one of his works, and then imagines a like third final form of the character <laughs> that plays all a, in- a major role in this series. <laughs> What was that? I'm sorry. I said it was just all uh, that's all laid out in an infographic at the end. It yes. is. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I think we were on a delay there yeah. for a second. And uh, as anyone who listens to our show will know, we are pro infographic on this show. <laughs> yes. 
Um, yeah, to to me, this this is not one of my favorite of the miniseries, but I feel like this is one of the most important of the miniseries for like overarching plot stuff. Yeah, I would. I think so. Um, this crosses over pretty significantly with Shining Night um, because they come to the Dawn's house and find the aftermath. They meet um, Vanguard, aka Horse Feathers. <laughs> um, yeah. All right. Let's. It's my, uh, my favorite Marx Brothers movie. Is it? Is it really? No, Duck Soup. I. I uh, you have chosen wisely. Um, okay, let's talk about Clary and the Witch Boy, written by Grant Morrison, illustrated by Fraser Irving. Uh, this is a character that I feel like pops up more often than I had sort of like when I was thinking about this. I, I was thinking about all the different Clarion appearances over the last you know decade or so, and every couple of years it seems like there's a new Clarion story, and I don't know how much of it. Morrison sort of invented here because I don't think I've read many Clarion stories from before this time. So in reading this, I don't know if everyone else is just biting off Morrison or if Morrison was continuing something that had already been established. Do any of you guys know the answer to that? I've I've never really read any other Clarion stuff. I'm not sure. Yeah. He's been in a surprising amount, like of especially like multimedia stuff. Like I remember he popped up like on that Young Justice cartoon. Yep. Uh, man, he's just been in like so many stuff, like so many things recently. I think it's just because like his his appearance, like his his like design, and you know the the cat too. I think really translate really translate mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Well, you know, he was going to be uh, in the Doug Liman uh, Justice League Dark film. <laughs> uh, very bizarre imagining of him where he was a corpse uh, controlled by flies. Um, glad that Tra- that didn't happen. Tragic that we yeah. are missing that one. Yeah. Shucks. Yeah, I, I had just unfortunately come upon Clarion as part of my Shazam read-through in Countdown. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mm, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and we'll, we'll be reading about him again in uh, he apparently has something to do with uh, Future's End. Was so. he in Future's End? I don't even remember. Yeah, I seem to remember a fair bit of Tikal in that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then, of course, who can forget he had his own New 52 miniseries. <laughs> I did not read that. Who wrote that? Uh, Anne Nocenti. Oh, I was going to say, yeah. Zach definitely knows. Who did the art, Zach? I have boy? it pulled up right now. Oh, it's, uh, okay. So it, it was uh, Trevor McCarthy at yeah. first, and it looks like Simon Kudransky came on at some point. I thought you just had this in your brain because you're Mr. New 52. No. No. The miniseries I'm way more, I'm way iffier on. He's Mr. Too Damn New 52. <laughs> 52. 50 Sue. 50 Zach. Mr. 50 Sue. Anyway, um, so this this uh, miniseries brings up this, this idea of there being Grundies, like multiple Solomon Grundy-esque zombies, which, again, is not something I was really aware of in the DC Universe. I don't know if that's ever been explored again. I always knew Solomon Grundy as sort of, you know, this uh, reincarnating 
zombie creature, but here there are there are lots and lots of Grundies. Um, we also get a very very innocent Clarion here, and he he you know eventually sort of shows his his demonic side in, in the final issue a little bit, but we don't get as um, he's not as evil as I guess I expected him to be. Uh, we get a lot of Melmoth in this, who you know we'll talk a little bit about. We'll talk about a little bit later. Um, Melmoth does say at one point, "I had spider sex with all of your ancestors," you know, which is one of my favorite lines in a comic I've read in 2020. Um, but but this this story is all about where Clarion comes from, which is an underground uh, hidden city essentially, and uh, there's a lot of they're they're dressed like Puritans. There, there, there's a lot of yeah. Sorry, go oh, ahead, I was gonna say it ties into the whole uh, the Croatoa, uh, Croatoan uh, Roanoke, you know, yes. missing missing Roanoke colony, that all of that stuff, um, which is a, a just a great jumping off point for a, you know one of these miniseries. Again, Grant just using a pre-existing, I, I you know idea or mythology and building on that in a cool way. Yeah, yeah. So let's talk about this. What did you guys think of the Clarion miniseries? This um, one might be my favorite. Maybe it's it's up there. No, it's not my favorite. I take it back immediately. <laughs> it's in my top three. I only have one clear favorite, and the rest. Spoiler alert! I only have one clear favorite, and the rest are all tied for. I know. What, I, I know just what can't. Yours is. Yeah. Well. Yeah. He's a horned uh, dog, anyway, so it's bullets here. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, it all depends on what you're... Never mind. Okay. Um, uh, no, th this... I, I love the atmosphere and the mood of this. I love Fraser Irving's art. I think that sometimes... Sometimes uh, Irving's art can be a little too spare for me or, or not... Not detailed enough or, like overly digitally rendered but i feel like this is the perfect irving that i want to read and i think it matches the tone of the story and the setting so well um and the, color, the coloring helps a lot i think yes for sure i mean this is when i picture clarion in any context he just looks like the fraser irving drawing down to yes. the coloring and everything um yeah, it's 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 semi iconic. It's as iconic as anything Clarion could be. <laughs> sure. Um, the story itself, um, it's one of the more straightforward ones. There, there's there are connections as as every series has to the various other series, but um, they're pretty light. The, the the die shows up again, which Zach had mentioned. Um, one one and, of two. One of two. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And Melmoth plays a big role later. But like for the most part, this is about Clarion figuring out how society works in this weird twisted society he's in and 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 leaving that society and uh, getting into what what you, you I, just, I just thought of something. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, like, leaving leaving the society he knows, being like a fish out of water, kind of like Shining Knight, only not really adapting to it. Um, 
gets caught up in this really bad situation and gets sent back to, to limbo town eventually. And, uh, and, and yeah, um, you, you know, know what this exactly reminds what me of? Yeah, go for it. <laughs> um, are, are, I'm sure you probably are, but I don't know how much. Are, are you guys familiar with like Ari Salvatore's Dritz, <laughs> Legend of Dritz stuff? Durden, yeah. Yeah, yeah that, that's what this is. That's what this is. Like, oh my God. See? Yeah, man, this is the nerdiest shit we've ever said on the podcast. <laughs> Thank you for that. <laughs> Uh, I'm so Brian... what you think of this? Sorry. <laughs> he doesn't even want me to go. <laughs> what? I was gonna explain it for you. Like well, I was gonna explain the reference, but no, I'll just leave it. No, I was gonna echo kind of like more what what you guys had said. I think this one is a little bit more uh, straightforward. Oddly enough, like, for, for, I mean, the book barely has like a cliffhanger, but there's something about like that first that that like last page that still kind of just makes me like fist bump a little bit. Um, you know, we kind of like see, they, they tease a little bit like how he plays into, uh, you know, like the, the rest of the team. Uh, again, I really just like Fraser Irving's uh, visuals. They just like, they really like stir up uh, emotion like in me. Like I always know kind of like what's on Clarion's mind, you know, whenever he's on a page. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's really sparse here. Um, you know, there, there isn't a whole lot of detail in the artwork, but just like, the way that the characters are emoting like makes me feel like I'm actually like, you know, there and like fully like immersed and I'm like reading um, a, a comic, you know, there, there are like less of those kind of like connections as there are in other stories. And like to make one final point here, I feel like this, uh, like the Clarion story is more like cohesive with like the overall seven soldiers. It's, it, it's, it's kind of curious to know because it, it, it has like a slightly different, uh, genre that it's operating in, like 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 different time period, like like a little bit more darker than even like some of the other stories. But I think it fits in like really nicely uh, with the overall like like series, just tonally. Yeah, yeah. I I agree Absolutely. about the, the expressiveness of the art. It's it's really good. Uh, have I ever told you guys my Dan DiDio and Fraser Irving story? <laughs> No, no. It's, not, it, it's not like the... Uh... No, it's not. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> parody satire, parody satire. So, um... <laughs> fuck you, Vince. I have to mark down where this <laughs> is so I yeah, can edit it out. Exactly, yeah, hang on. Please please do a bleep, though. <laughs> uh, I gotta write this down. One second. <laughs> I'm going to try to get you to have to do this every week now. <laughs> Please don't. It's, it's more two weeks in a row. So anyway, um, <laughs> Fraser Irving did a thing where he was he opened up a commission list for New York Comic Con for 50 bucks for a character headshot. And he had just worked on the Shade miniseries with James Robinson. So I was like, fuck yeah, I wanted to do a Shade. So I got on the list. And I was supposed to meet him he at the DC booth. He, didn't, he wasn't tabling, so you just he would bring your your sketch to wherever you like decided to meet. So he wanted to meet me at the DC booth, and so I'm at the DC booth, and I realize I don't know what Fraser Irving looks like. And it was before they put Wi-Fi in the Javits Center, so there was like no cell service. So I'm like, how am I gonna figure out who this is? And so Dan DiDio is walking towards me, and I say, Hey Dan, what does Fraser Irving look like? And he's like, Oh, he's uh, you know, he looks a lot like uh. 
you know, he's, he's a very driven guy, and you'll know him when you see him. And they walked away. <laughs> like, so he had no idea what Fraser Irving looked like either. Um, and couldn't just say to me, I don't know what he looks like, because I guess he worked for him, so he, sh- he should be able to describe a guy he works with. Um, but he, he couldn't do it. So <laughs> I eventually found him, though. So. Oh, that's good. Yeah. That's funny. That's good. <laughs> oh, brother. Yeah. Um, one one thing I want to say before I don't have anything to say about Clarion anymore is that uh, halfway through the series, Clarion uh, hooks up with a guy who he at first puts his trust in, but then later finds out is trying to trade him for porno. <laughs> so, yeah. And that's 100% true. So the dialogue, refer- the dialogue refers to it as bobbles, but the image is of a nudie mag <laughs> and and alcohol and booze yeah. yeah yeah i think that this one is um like everyone else said a very sort of straightforward um story that doesn't really feel uh, I, I think this one could have been pulled out of the narrative without too much changing and it wouldn't feel out of place as its own self-contained story uh i love the visuals in this I um I, I th- this is coming at a point in the when when you're reading these uh, we we, should, we haven't even mentioned this yet when the when the books were released they were not released as miniseries they were released like one week you would get an issue of Zatanna the next week will be an issue of Clarion so you're not reading it like in a batch you're reading it one at a time and I felt like as we're getting towards the end of the Clarion miniseries. Other stuff in the other books is really heating up in a way. And so I think that this doesn't read as well. I think this would read better being read on its own than being read in the publication order. Mm. I've never done that, so I'm kind of talking out my ass here. But I just that that's kind of how I felt having read it, that it, it, it feels a little bit slight story-wise compared to what's going on in the, in the books surrounding it. Sure. Um, met meta narrative check. We mentioned the 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 die showing up. Uh, Melmoth appears here. Um, it's revealed that uh, Clarion's witch people are descended from Melmoth. Um, so they they've got some Sheeta uh, going on in them, and we also uh, get a reference to Melmoth's operations on Mars, which will be important later. Yes. I think that's everything. Any other comments on Clarion? All right. No. Let's take a break. And when we return, we will talk about the second batch of miniseries, starting with um, Mr. Miracle. So stay tuned. Hey, we're Panels in Motion, a monthly podcast where we read a comic, watch its movie adaptation, and figure out what went right or what went wrong. We focus on a wide variety of non-superhero comics. One month will be an American independent comic like The Mask or Kingsman. 
The next will be a European comic, like Persepolis or Tintin. And the next will be a Japanese manga, like Lone Wolf and Cub or Silent Voice. I'm a writer. I'm a director. And I'm a cinematographer. So we all have different perspectives on why an adaptation might or might not work. We're also a show where a discussion of Middle East education or the sexual revolution can take place alongside a discussion of the pros and cons of Jim Carrey's face. There is truly something for everyone. So check us out. Go subscribe to Panels in Motion on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Stitcher. And follow us at Panels in Motion on Twitter and Instagram. See you soon. And we are back with a discussion of Mr. Miracle number one. This is the only one of the miniseries that does not have a consistent artist on all four issues. Uh, it begins with Pascal Ferry doing the first issue, and then Billy Dallas Patton and Freddie Williams the second share the second issue, and then Freddie Williams takes the, the next two by himself. Um so this is not the scot-free Mr. Miracle that I'm sure more of our listeners are familiar with than Shiloh Norman, and we'll get into him in just a second. Uh, this is the other really Kirby-influenced issue, obviously, uh, because Mr. Miracle is a Kirby character. But this also does, this brings all of the new gods sort of into onto Earth as these, like, weird analog versions of it and i feel like of all of the miniseries this is the one that would be the most absolutely confusing to a new reader <laughs> uh do you guys concur with that statement 100 percent. yeah yeah absolutely but it's also my favorite because it's <laughs> prelude to final crisis <laughs> yeah what this go ahead vincey Oh, I was just going to say, this was the one that when I first read Seven Soldiers all those years ago, I was like, this this is nonsense, and why would I possibly care? And then with the, the bevy of DC knowledge I have now, it's like, oh, God, there's all sorts of reasons why I should care. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so good. I'm just, like, thinking about... All, all the stuff that happens in this one little mini and it's just the best well why don't you tell us about some of that zach oh man okay so you've got this shiloh norman character who is a mr miracle um i i don't was he in the kirby mr miracle series the that yes. 16 issue yes he, he was. was okay um so he he's a an escape artist and like Brian said, the new gods come into this in the form uh, they're, they're, they've taken human form. There's been a war in heaven, an evil one. And uh, it, oh man, it's so good. I'm just, <laughs> I'm so excited for when we talk about Final Crisis. I'm getting giddy. Um, so for some reason, all of the gods are on Earth um, in human form and they're, they're kind of still at war with each other and, and Shiloh Norman gets caught in the middle. Um, he, you, you see all of these different new God characters in different forms, like Desaad is his therapist. Um, Metron uh, keeps um, kind of interjecting um, both as in his Metron form and then as a, as a man in a wheelchair, um, we have these two wheelchair bound old men. Um, one of which is Metron. The other is the black racer who are, um, almost kind of taking like a, a, a Jobian 
wager on Shylon Warman. Mm-hmm. Very, very much like Job. Yeah, really good stuff. Um, so ba- <laughs> essentially, this 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 mini is <laughs> Jeb, um... <laughs> a magician named Gob. <laughs> um, yes. Um, so so in the, this mini. Um, so at the beginning, Shiloh is doing this escape uh, artist uh, trick where he's escaping from a black hole. Um, and it's it's uh, assumed that he escapes pretty quickly. Um, but then you find out over the course of the series, he's actually been living this kind of like imaginary life um, and has been kind of in the black hole for seven days. It's very trippy. It's getting into a lot of stuff that Morrison's going to end up using in his Batman run and Final Crisis with Darkseid and the Omega Sanction. and um, oh, It's just so good. It's honestly... This, I think, is the one that is the least relevant to Seven Soldiers. Agreed. Um, in fact, almost like... Now I'm like, I'm thinking about it. It's it actually is not connected at all, other than you find out that Darkseid kind of allowed the Sheeta to kind of gain ground on Earth. Um, and now I'm I'm even forgetting like why he did that. It's in the last issue. If anybody yeah. has that handy, I can't. Um... I honestly can't remember. <laughs> Oh, I can't remember either. Neither can I. It can't be that important. Um, yeah. And and his series actually ends with him dying. No, he uh, dies. He dies in the next issue. Oh, he dies. He yeah, dies. he dies in the next. Ah, uh, okay. His okay. series ends with an extremely. It's probably the most triumphant and emotional bit in the whole thing for me because, like, first of all, the last issue of this. Um, he's stuck in the Omega Sanction and he's reliving the, this life over and over again. And you see him reliving the same story over and over again with slight changes that make it worse every time. And when he finally escapes, it's like this magnificent, triumphant moment. And then you yes. see one more version of this life where it's a happy one. Yes. It's it's some of the most emotional uh, writing in this entire thing, because for as good as this is, and as much as I like it, a lot of it is kind of clinical or like more about the meta narrative than it is about the, the feeling, Absolutely. you know, mm-hmm. um, yeah. which, which I like, but a, a moment like that just hit home so heavily. Um, it's such yeah. a great moment for Morrison, I think. Agreed. And and I will say, I think as much as I love this mini, and I, I do think it is, it's in my, it might be my favorite. Um, the art, I think, is, is maybe the weakest well, like in I some said, cases. Like I said, it's not a consistent artist throughout. So yeah. it, it has that working against it. Yeah. And I've just never been a Freddie Williams guy, just in general. Yeah, the oh, coloring always, is like very nice flat too. Yeah. Um, I don't know who the colorist is on this. Um, trying to check. It's just, just the, not my favorite. Is the colorist? 
Yeah. Who is? I'm sorry. Dave McCaig. Okay. I really, really like Pascal Ferry's art. I thought that he was going to be drawing the whole thing and was pretty sad. Um, you know, Freddie Williams, he's a good artist. He just isn't my favorite artist. Yeah. Uh, also, speaking to, like, this book, I had, you know, I, I read this for the first time, like, you know, a couple months ago. I was kind of, like, shell-shocked by how uh, similar this was to Manhattan or the guardian, especially like mainly in like some of the themes where like, he's like kind of being manipulated on uh, the side. And I just think that the tone and like the way it was like the, the street level, the way that was introduced in the, in the guardian book really like sucked me in, especially with like the uh, newsboy Legion tie at the end of that miniseries. And I just don't think that this book had the same, like, um, you know, narrative switch at the at the end. That that emotional moment that we were talking about earlier, that was that was good. That that really was needed. But some of these stories can get so dark uh, psychologically, and I just don't feel like this uh, had like enough things to say that made it differentiate. You know, from that Manhattan book. I mean, I almost, I almost just think like if I was reading this out of out of context, I'm not, I'm not even sure I would guess that it was. Uh, Morrison in in some parts. I think, especially towards the end, I was really struggling to, um, you know, kind of keep like the meta narrative afloat, and you know, see some of these concepts. Hmm. Well, they do cut his junk off at the end, which is <laughs> probably the darkest thing in this whole thing. So I I agree with you there that it is like <laughs> it gets really possibly I, too dark. I remembered what the thing what they the thing that dark the 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 other side of dark side's deal and and the most important thing in terms of the meta narrative and it's the introduction introduction of Aracles. Oh, yeah, first yes, superhero. Yes, yes. Um so that 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 is kind of I guess like the the key thing for this mini series in terms of the meta. Mhm. Yeah, um Again, I I feel like this was definitely the most out there one in some ways, and also because of its the lack of sort of how essential it is to the to the overarching narrative, it, it maybe is my least favorite of the miniseries. Actually, um, that's not saying well, it's bad. You just, you, you just got to be a real Final Crisis sim like me for it to be your favorite. Um, Final Crisis, not my favorite Crisis, unlike you. So. It is my favorite crisis. So. Yeah. So there we go. All right. Well, let's jump over to the Bulleteer then, written by Grant Morrison, illustrated by Yannick Paquette. Uh, this one, Vince, I think we talked about this earlier. You said how like there are this is a lot of this is Morrison adding like pathologies to these heroes, mm -hmm. and I feel like this is just like the uh, how superheroes and sex uh, intersect. Is, is, yeah. is the story and so um we we meet a a married couple who the husband is like every five seconds like hey so are we gonna become superheroes so we can fuck as superheroes uh it's pretty much his thing this this guy will watch Zack snyder's watchmen the the hallelujah scene <laughs> one too many times and um so he watched it once yeah <laughs> <Whoa>. <laughs> 
see what I did there? Um, uh-huh. Yeah, so... Man, remember that time we all watched that together on <laughs> live podcasting? Yes, we did. Yeah. Uh, Alexander, you missed it, but you didn't miss anything. Don't worry. Um, so, yeah. Uh, in this story, uh, there is a scientist who is trying to make himself into a superhero. He fucks up. He dies in the process, but he makes his wife into a superhero. She has um, this, like, metallic layer of skin above her skin that makes her uh basically indestructible and this is the miniseries that brings in brings back in the vigilante and brings in uh sort of some of the 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 narrative from that first zero issue this is also the story that like the the bulleteer herself her point of view is the most like detached from magic or super heroics or anything like that so this is sort of the closest that we get to having an analog character for us to see ourselves in in the book um it also has some great shit like the teddy bear king dying (laughs) um and uh there's a really sad sally sonic story in this and there's a lot about like uh you know people's kinks not necessarily working out in their marriages like there, there's sort of a lot of the meat there's a lot of meat on the bone here but like i said because you're having the point of view of somebody who is new to all of this i think this might be the the, the easiest like entrance into this world of all these miniseries this this one does have some like really great fun moments that to me are kind of like in line with the Manhattan guardian. Like, I think it's the second issue where she's helping out the, um, the FBI agent from shining night Mm -hmm. and trying to help her kind of like both solve, um, you know, this case and also get her to her, her sister's wedding. And they, Mm -hmm. over the course of the issue, she figures out that her, her sister's, uh, soon to be husband is a is, is a, a werewolf, werewolf. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they burst into the into the ceremony, you know, saying, "I object, he's a werewolf," <laughs> um, which was super fun. But yeah, you, like you said, bringing in the the vigilante, we find out that she Bulletier was originally going to be the the seventh member of that uh, seven soldiers from the zero issue. Mm-hmm. Um, but fate kind of intervened um, to keep her away from that. Um, and we also, uh, over the, the course of the series, there's this allusion to the the lance that's thrown through time. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that's going to be important for this, this character it is, is important in that regard. Um, that was one of the seven, the seven kind of, uh, artifacts of of Aracles. Uh the the lance was kind of a mysterious one, um, but yeah, it is kind of interesting how detached this series is from the meta narrative in in a lot of ways. And it's kind of like you said, just this exploration of of kind of like superheroes and kink and uh, and all of that. Vince. I think uh, I think the art's fantastic on this. Um, I'm a big Yannick Paquette fan. He gets to do a lot of uh, sort of 
sort of street levelish stuff, beat em up type stuff, and he he does really well with that, and um, and definitely plays. He's able to play up the um to to crib on the thing that Alexander mentioned earlier. He's playing up the ultimates aspect of this um, from a visual standpoint as well. I think, um, and. You know the the story itself might not be my favorite because there's a there's there's some cheeky stuff in there where uh, Bulleteer ends up at a comic con or a superhero con I guess and uh, there's a lot of in jokes about again like superhero sex hangups and stuff like that and that's not really. I, I feel like I've read other comics that do that better, and that's not my favorite thing to begin with, um, just from a thematic standpoint. Um, but a, but apart from that, it's a it's a it's another pretty good superhero origin story along alongside like Manhattan Guardian. Like I think this character has a pretty pretty good origin, and then it ties in really surprisingly to Oracles who we mentioned uh, as part of the last miniseries. So Bulleteer is apparently a direct descendant of Oracles. So, um, yeah, like, you know, not one of my favorites, but looks great and pretty easy to read. It's it's an easily digestible, straightforward thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Teddy oh. Bear King rocks, too. Yes. R.I.P. Alexander, what do you think of this? I was really sucked in by the origin, especially because I knew like nothing about this going in. Um, and just like the first issue, I think from a from a craft perspective is like really impressive. It's kind of like nonlinear and like flashes through uh, Alex's uh, superhero origin here. Uh, you know, I really like uh, Yannick Paquette too. Uh, you know, I kind of read like Wonder Woman Earth One and always thought that book was a little weird. I think this kind of makes more points about uh, superheroes and sexuality that than like all of Wonder Woman Earth One and is more interesting. Also, like a, th- a thing that I really appreciate about this is that I feel like taking at face value, this is at least a good comic. But when you put it in like the overall narrative, you know, when they factor in the seven soldiers and the zero issue, it all comes together and makes it like seem like methodical and, and, and planned out. And, and that's where I, I think this is like one of the best, uh, you know, like pieces of, of this series. Um, it's, it's interesting too, like going back through and like taking all these books, it's almost like there's those like darker fantasy stories kind of like uh clarion and uh, shining knight and then there's also these more grounded stories like manhattan and or the guardian and um you know like mr miracle is a little bit a little bit more grounded a little bit not but i yeah i i really like this a lot and i really like how accessible it is too the accessibility i think is important because i could definitely see some people checking out of this event because it, it's it, like so many Morrison things it requires and also rewards a close reading and some sort of trusting in where it's going 
And so you need a couple of stories like this that are a little bit more just straightforward for those folks who maybe don't have that sort of patience. And like one last thing, I, I really like how it kind of towards the beginning, like I, I feel like she has a really good character arc. Like she's kind of like unsure of herself. Like she has a feeling that like something's going wrong with her, with her husband, but she's not quite sure what it is because the thing that it is is so weird. But I felt like towards the end of the miniseries, like she, she became a lot more confident. And I, I feel like this has like a really good personal journey for her, like actually coming into a superhero. I mean, again, there's, there's so much, there's so much plot in these like four issues alone than, you know, as, as compared to like most modern superhero comics, it's pretty amazing. Yeah. Yeah. To that point, she, she's the only one that at the end refuses the call, I think, to be one of the seven soldiers. She ends up getting roped in anyway, anyway, but like, she she appears to refuse the call on the last page. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anything else you want to say about bullets here, guys? Mm-mm. I don't think so. I think we called out the meta narrative stuff already. Yes. What right, do you guys I... think the comparison to like Wonder Woman Earth One? Have you read that? I yeah, have not read I, that I actually. Think you're... I read it. I I think you're spot on when you say that this has more to say. Like Morrison kind of tries in that, but you're right when you say it's weird. It's like I don't know. It's clumsy. The Wonder Woman stuff is very <laughs> clumsy. I mean, this stuff this stuff is a little jokey and a little like um over the top, I think, but I think it's I think it's coherent in a way that the Wonder Woman stuff isn't. Yeah, I, it's been a long time. I've only read the first volume, and I feel like that this is kind of more like a generalistic take on the subject, whereas like the Wonder Woman stuff was really just kind of dealing mostly with the um, Marston, mm-hmm. like submissive, dominant, submissive like stuff that was in the early Wonder Woman. So it's it's more it's more tied to that specifically and the, reason, the reason why i'm bringing it up is because yanni paquette is the artist right yeah. right and right it's and it's dc it's so so weird so many similarities yeah yeah but no yeah I, you're right this i think handles it in a more maybe interesting way whereas like wonder woman earth one is a very i don't want to say like not quite like an academic pursuit but more just Morrison being very fascinated with the early Wonder Woman stuff and kind of trying to riff on that and 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 yeah it it's just different. Well, that brings us to our final of the, of the miniseries, and that is Frankenstein, and this is obviously written by Morrison, illustrated by Doug Monkey, and I, I was trying to do a little bit of research about the DC Comics version of Frankenstein, and. He appears first way back in 1948, <laughs> um, but was used very sparingly uh, for the first like 50 years or so of his uh, time at DC. And then everything that's sort of the modern understanding of the DC Comics Frankenstein begins here. This is where Morrison begins the character that we will see 
you know, throughout the next few, uh, you know, uh, events that he does, we'll see him in the new 52 as the agent of shade. Uh, and then as part of, uh, justice league dark eventually, you know, so th- th- there's, a, there's a lot of sort of origin stuff for Frankenstein here, but because the character has a built in origin that we all know just because of pop culture, I think that Morrison is able to take some more chances and risks here because everybody has the sort of baseline understanding of who Frankenstein already is. I, I think that this is pretty much like far and away the most successful of the miniseries in terms of revitalizing a character and making them stick. Yes. Mm-hmm. Anybody dare disagree with with Zach on this? <laughs> no, this is this is this is my favorite. This is my number one. I th- I think it is easily the most successful, and I think I could gush for an hour about how it's a perfect four issues on its own and as a part of Seven Soldiers. It's damn near flawless to me. <laughs> I I love this thing. I mean, how how much do you want me to go off right now? Go off. I love every issue of this is like its own standalone nugget almost that that goes down just perfectly. The Doug Monkey art is like an iconic like that is Franken that is the modern DC Comics Frankenstein just created whole cloth. I give Monkey all the credit for like what it looks like, what it feels like. He applies it to not just Frankenstein and the shade cast, but like the world around Frankenstein in this book becomes a Frankenstein's monster almost. You know, like the the school that he visits that has that prom where all the where the Sheeta maggots are chewing on the kids. Like suddenly that looks like a place where Frankenstein would be. If all these other series are fish out of water stories not all of them but you know a handful of the other ones are fish out of water stories it's like wherever frankenstein goes the frankenstein's world goes with him like that's how he goes to mars in the second issue he's riding bugs around on mars um just he the the one-liners that he has the perfect response there are multiple times throughout this miniseries where um, you know, there'll be this flowery dialogue that the villain will be saying or whatever. And Frankenstein's basically like, Oh, you mean like this? And then like blows him away with the gun. You know, he's the Terminator, basically. He's That's... he's he's so entertaining to read. It's a perfect deconstruction of a genre as far as like the horror creature genre goes. Meanwhile, it fits perfectly into this science fiction, you know, shade thing that dc comics likes to do with like uh these like science fiction organizations that are running in the background of all the superhero stuff it i god i love everything about it i could go on and on and on how how great this looks how great it feels how great it reads how funny it is how horrific it is that first issue with that ugly head character that's like like all of a sudden it's an indie comic it's like a daniel close or a or a Evan Dorkin. It comic? was an episode of Smallville. <laughs> I don't, I, I don't understand the reference, but I'll take your word for it. But, like, oh. it's, this is like Morrison loves in any story. Morrison loves to play all these different notes 
And I think usually he succeeds, but never as like, never like this where you can't see any of the seams. I feel like this is seamless. I, I, I wanted to, to touch on, I'm glad you brought up the dialogue because I, I think pretty recently, even we've seen um, people online kind of um, knocking Morrison's uh, dialogue writing, um, particularly like his, the, the lyrical nature as he, as he describes it. Um, but I, I feel like the dialogue specifically in this Frankenstein, Frankenstein mini is some of the, best morrison dialogue i've ever read it's it, it's so good i think so good it is it is like musical like it's like call and response at times and uh-huh. and it's oh it's perfect yeah and and you're definitely right too about like giving so much of the credit to monkey here because so many of the depictions of this character would either you know be done by monkey himself or by monkey adjacent artists like um i think who, on, on the the jeff lemire book it was alberto ponicelli yeah. and and someone else i think who was also very much of that same school um so yeah just extremely definitive alexander what do you think of this yeah, I think um, the thing I like about this the most is just Doug Monkey. I mean, I think his art makes a lot more sense in the context of this than in, like, your average uh, superhero comic. Like, especially with some of those, you know, Superman issues during uh, Rebirth. I just think it fits uh, Frankenstein. And, and, like, alongside Morrison, uh, he's able to kind of take more chances I definitely see some parallels like to, to Frank quietly and, you know, some of his like line work too. Uh, that, that first issue with the ugly head, um, you know, in the, in the sheet of monsters, like attaching to them, that visual is like amazing when they start to show you like the different characters are, um, in infected, like, like the way, uh, they, they kind of like reveal, uh, in the in the different panels, like oh my goodness, like this the the, the guy um, who's who's infected by the by the Sheeta monster, the ugly head. That that first panel where you see like the Sheeta on his back is just like that's just like pure uh, nightmare fuel. Yeah. And again, like the script is like really really good too. The you know the dialogue it's it's not overwritten. It's it's funny at times. Frankenstein has like a really good. Um, you know, personality. I think it's kind of fun too, how you never know where the book is going to go next. You know, issue one, it's like a high school setting. Issue two, let's like go book it to Mars. Um, you know, I just think issue there's, four there's... is one billion years in the future. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Oh man. And I guess kind of along that, getting into the meta narrative stuff a little bit, um, we find out. So, so Melmoth is kind of like Frankenstein's arch enemy uh, to a degree. Um, we find out that he was like instrumental in Frankenstein being born. His, his um, blood is what gives Frankenstein his immortality, so he claims. Right. Yes. Um, and yeah, Frankenstein goes into the far future where the the Sheeta live um, and fights them there. Um, 
trying to remember if there are any other like specific points. I get not really like tied to the meta narrative, but I think Vince kind of alluded to this. We get the introduction of Shade, um, which would go on to kind of become like one of the core, uh, you know, secret organizations in the DCU, even still, you know, kind of like mm-hmm. showing up in um, uh, Leviathan, whatever, Le- <laughs> event Leviathan. Event Leviathan. <laughs> yeah. Um, so. Did, did you mention Nebulo shows up in this one? No, I didn't. Yeah, he does. Nebulo shows up and, and um, does Frankenstein fight him in the mini or is that in the... Yeah, in issue three, I think he does. Okay, yeah, he fights him and and kills him. Um, in in that uh, one of the four kingdoms of uh that that were founded by the the new gods way back in the day, mm-hmm. um, where all the Pegasuses live. <laughs> oh, Pegasuses. Uh, yeah, no, this one is, this one is incredible. I, I think it's probably, I mean, if I'm being objective, it's probably the best one. Um, because I'm, uh, Mr. Miracle Simp, I put it at number two, but. You don't uh, have to be objective. That's fine. Yeah, I refuse. Uh, it's I had like one. a harder time with this second batch of stories and the Frankenstein one. And, like, the Bulleteer one, like, really helped kind of break up some of the pace and, like, kind of, like, re-orient, like, orient, like myself into uh, the story. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think that's true. Yeah. I, I think I think I had a similar experience. And, see, I, I awesome. think I enjoyed the, the, the back three more than the first four miniseries-wise. Interesting. It's uh, it's funny to me that this is supposed to be happening kind of around the same time as Infinite Crisis, and there's like a chemo analog, um, mm. in the Frankenstein mini. I, um. I just read that Dan DiDio and Grant Morrison were like sparring about that, and like after uh, they were done like negotiating, they they finally figured out that it was like this like takes place the week before final crisis what they eventually settled on which is hilarious well that was because apparently morrison was telling people that it took place after uh infinite crisis and the deal got pissy about that and said no no it's before and so they they that was their compromise was that it was a week before <laughs> uh you gotta love it yeah, it's pretty yeah. funny though. You we actually see. Um, I, I don't know if you guys noticed when we did our Infinite Crisis read, but uh, some of the um, Seven Soldiers characters show up in the big uh, Metropolis battle. Like I specifically remember seeing Shining Knight and Bulleteer. I think mm-hmm. in those spreads. So, um, one quick thing before we move on. Uh, one other like potential Watchmen link that I may I may be making it up, but I think it's there. Um, in the ugly head uh, bit of the story here, there's a a girl that he he can he can read thoughts, and he's like he like goads her into 
admitting that like the life that she's leading is is fake or not making her happy or whatever she's like a popular girl and uh he tries to get her to admit that she's not happy that way and that she should she should live life the way that she really wants to or enjoy the things that she really wants to and what that includes is like being a fan of or collecting butterflies Mm -hmm. and then you you see a butterfly shop and it looks like a comic book shop it's like yes it looks it's like like a hobby shop yeah 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 absolutely like there's i forget the wording on the sign but it's like very clearly and the way that they talk about it with the other students like he says something like i bet you don't even know anything about butterflies to this like (laughs) other popular it it i believe it has to be an intentional like butterflies are a stand-in for comic books the way that like in watchmen people wouldn't read superhero comic books they'd read pirate comic books well there's subway pirates in seven soldiers and their superheroes so what do they do they collect butterflies instead <laughs> that's interesting i like that a lot i'm probably i'm probably just making that up but so i'm about to say something that i think is going to bum everybody out oh boy i thought that the final issue seven soldiers number one did not work very well i think i think there's so much happening in it that it makes it for a very fragmented reading experience. And I I like almost everything that happens in the book, but I don't think it works very well as a collective issue. And I know that sort of the point is that it's these seven series colliding into one, and I can appreciate that. But I read this issue like three or four times, and then I went and I read a couple of, descriptions of what happens in the issue and there are things that are described that i just i just think are not done very well in the in on in the actual pages of the issue i think i think it is the weakest part of the entire event oh see i'm i i disagree with both of you okay (laughs) i think it's i think it's a really good culmination and, and and i think I mean, I think it's all, all there. Um, like I, I don't, I don't, I don't want to say Brian that like you you would think differently after multiple reads, but I I read it this time and and I felt like it was all there on the page. I felt like it was all pretty self explanatory. I feel like it it I, I felt like it was done so, like masterfully. Like I, I feel like it it did everything that it set out to do and it all culminated in a really satisfying way um there there is one particular thing that i think is maybe a little unclear um having to do with the fate of the eighth time taylor the rogue time taylor zachary zor kind of like what's going on there i think you maybe kind of do have to read a little bit about that um but man the i i i think it's the best part of the series maybe um mm. just how well it comes together and how satisfying it is um and and on and how impressively jh williams adapts all of the different artists styles for their for their respective characters um it, like i you get to like i think this you look at the second page um that 
brings in the shining knight and and i had to double check to see if bianchi was credited in this issue because it looks so much like that style but it's it's williams kind of adapting it and it's just crazy how many different things that this issue does i love the uh manhattan guardian newspaper page that's mostly prose it looks like a like a newspaper it has a crossword puzzle it has a little cartoon strip about carla um uh the manhattan guardians uh wife um just all the different things that it all the different styles all the different like layout designs and uh, i i think it's just fantastic may i make one slight adjustment to what i said which is that i i read this digitally and i think it might work better in print Okay, that that might be that's an that's an interesting point. Uh, yeah, especially I, because I, I I read it I actually read it twice. Uh, I, I read it in two different formats. Either I read it on DC Universe and then I read it on Comicsology. I have it on both, and uh-huh. uh, I did one with the guided view, where it was taking you where you know, where somebody oh, decided it should go, and then I read it yeah. sort of like full page. I think it worked better full page, but there are limitations to both ways of reading digital comics. So I think, I think think it might work better if I had it in my hand. I just felt like it was, it was disjointed at times and that it was that Morrison was trying to cram so much information in that. I think it was, everything was overlapping and things didn't get enough of its own time or enough of its own focus, I guess. Alexander, what did you think of this? Yeah, I am. I am right there with you. There is so much that they set up over these issues. It's a shame that they had to take all of what they established, cram it into this this one issue and then end the thing. I mean, I just think that I mean, every it's it's like we we almost flip the protagonist on like every page of this issue. And it's like everything that's present on the page is good amazing you know there's so many different ideas it's incredible to see jh williams like adapt to uh you know different different art styles to like match uh the miniseries you know the 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 connections between the other miniseries that 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 are referenced here like everything on the page is good it's just that with with some of these big crossovers it's like i feel like there isn't enough time or space for the creative teams to really accomplish everything that they set out to do and you know if we had more uh you know page time with these with these characters i i i feel like this would definitely be a stronger final issue like as i was reading you know i kind of read this in trade form so as i was reading all these trades i was so excited for uh this this final um, issue tying everything together, but there's so much information. And, you know, by the time I'm immersed, like, like the story is already, uh, finished. So I just, you know, I understand like for editorial reasons, they, they probably didn't want to, you know, flesh this out farther than one issue, but, you know, I kind of wish they did. I, I wish they had more time, uh, you know, to the, to that point, I wish, J.H. Williams was able to draw uh, the the entire miniseries, but I understand like that probably wouldn't have been uh, possible. And also, I can't stress the fact that 
pretty, you know, almost all, you know, pretty much all the content in this issue is amazing. And I'm just kind of nitpicking at this point. Yeah, I think all that's very fair. Um, you know, we, we I had said at the beginning of the show that we were talking about Jason Fabok's work on uh, Batman Three Jokers and how it took, you know, he basically could take his own, go at his own pace and that le that led to such a, a richly illustrated issue. I feel like J.H. Williams was almost six months late with this comic and you can tell that he wasn't, you know, pruning his his garden while he was supposed to be drawing this. That he spent the time doing the work here and, and it's incredible looking. Like like you said, like I I really feel like there's just there's you know, there's too much crammed in here. Nothing gets enough room to breathe. And uh yeah. Sorry, Zach. What well, well, I just don't I, I I just don't really see it. I don't know I don't really know what more could or should be done just because I think like the minis do a really good job of giving you everything that you need and and uh I, I just don't really know what else like needs would need to be here necessarily um I I don't feel like it's compressed I guess is what I'm trying to say oh my goodness <laughs> uh, like I, I just don't feel like there's any compression here I feel like anything more would just kind of be fluff um like e each character kind of like gets their moment to do the like their thing you but, know but that's the thing their moment is condensed to sometimes like three panels well but that's like that's their like one thing that they do like i mean so like kind of going through like shining night is you know fighting Gloriana? I, I mean, like each, I don't know. I guess not everyone like even has like a significant thing. Like Shining Knight is fighting Gloriana and and stabs her. Um, you know, Zatanna is with Misty, who she's going to try to make this like coup against her mother that's co-opted by um, Clarion, and that's his that's his moment. Um, you know, Bulleteer is is really just kind of like the whole time just moving towards her final trajectory as, as the Lance um, Frankenstein is, you know, still on the ship um, kind of doing his thing. Um, Manhattan garden really guardian really doesn't have like a big thing to do in this. He, he gets his moment with Clara. Um, Mr. Miracle gets his big moment with dark side and, and freeze Oracles. Um, I, I just uh, I don't I just don't really my my reading of it is that it is complete and I, I just don't really know what else could be there or what needs to be there. My problem is my problem is the execution that I don't care for the prose pages and um, I don't. I don't care for the newspaper pages and and stuff like that. And I think, yeah, I know. I uh, I just I, love I, that stuff. No, see, to me, to me, it just abandons the format in a way that like that the series had not established prior to this. And to me, that felt like a corner cutting. I don't want to accuse anybody of anything, but like, it felt like, oh, we couldn't, we didn't get this done on time. So let's throw the. It didn't feel natural to me. 
that's funny because I feel like it probably took more time to make that. Like it's still, I mean, you know, it's still it still has like art throughout it and and all the like fun little maybe not. I don't really know like the 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 amount of time. Well, like I said, I I don't I don't know the the mechanics behind it. Maybe it does take more time, but what it felt like on the page to me was that like, oh, this is the rest of this was all a comic book. And then this turned into something else towards the end for for reasons that aren't really well established to me. I I can definitely see your point. Like, like the those prose pages really break up the flow of the story. Like, um, J.H. Williams is already um, really rapidly changing art styles from from page to page, which. I mean, I, I think that's awesome, but it is a little bit hard to follow. And then you get to those prose pages and you get out of those pages. And it's really it's it's it can be difficult to just decipher what is going on, like especially on uh, first read through. Yeah. Yeah. I just don't I just don't like that as a technique from a personal standpoint and it's 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 for that reason like it it takes it t when i'm when i get to a prose page in any comic something in me is like ah, i'm not reading a comic anymore you know like except what for I the infographics in uh <laughs> in uh hickman next books well yes but let's be clear some people do those a lot better than others there there, there are times when i get to those and i don't read them because they're not they're not executed in the way that is clever or anything, you know, but what I'm saying is like, I'm so in love with the form of comic booking that, that I don't want to read a lot of prose. I don't want to read a prose page. And so it did bug me because there wasn't precedent for it. Now, having said that, I, this is like one of my favorite comics ever, you know, like I, I love it. Like I said, it's a desert Island comic. I'm just saying like, the reason I think this is the weakest is because for a short period of time in the finale, it feels like it needs to abandon the format to deliver more information in a smaller amount of space, I feel, than can be done with comic booking. Like, I feel like that's what they're doing there. So when you guys say that, like, there's too much information here, it's not, I agree, but it's not that I think that anything is missing or that it could have been decompressed or given more room to breathe. Just that it was replaced by this prose that I'd rather not be reading in favor of comic booking well, that I don't feel is serving a purpose, a narrative purpose as anything more than giving us lots more information in a smaller space. I wouldn't even say that the newspaper segment gives all that much information. It like summarizes some things. And it, it, to me, this is almost like, like it's not back matter, but it is because it's in the middle of the comic but like this is like it's not not back matter <laughs> it's it's back matter yeah you know? yeah i mean it, uh, it is but i don't want that necessarily you know so uh, my other my other problem with this is that i don't like it when like so the, the whole the whole point of this of the series is to have these seven soldiers that never really interact too much but they're all coming together to save the day but they wouldn't have been able to do it without I Spider, who's 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 ignored for all of the miniseries and shows up here at the end and sort of saves the day. Oh, I he's think in all, I, he's in several yeah. of the miniseries. 
Yeah. He's, he's not I a think, major character. Yeah, he is. I, he, yeah, he is. He almost I, I assassinates uh, Bulleteer, and um, I think he does something. He's a rockabilly double-crossing assassin that runs through the entire series. He's amazing. But, but I feel like he's not... He's not he's not one of the seven soldiers. This isn't his story. I don't like that he had such an important part in the story. I mean, he's in the first page of the series. But but again, but there there's not a spider miniseries because he's not one of the seven soldiers. Well, but then you could say the same thing about Vigilante. Who has a much smaller role in the finale than Spider does. Yeah, but he still play like plays a role throughout the whole series though. But Vigilante but is, it, it... I'm not going to win this is one. It, I see that. <laughs> is it not? Is it not in part? Correct me if I'm wrong, but is the the importance of I Spider and his um, transcendence from the original group, not the original Seven Soldiers, right. but the the, the ones that lead Z- the Seven series. Soldiers Zero, right. is that not like a purposeful refutation or breaking of the cycle of this prophecy that you know seventeen that the, the Sheeta go after teams of seven people, seven people rise to, to fight the Sheeta at very point at various points in history. Like, I feel like that's purposefully done to add an eighth member to the stew to break that cycle that's been going on. Which also could play into the thing about there being the seven, you know, seven angels the seven grant morrisons the seven seven time tailors but then there's this eighth rogue one yeah um all all of that could be true but that's my problem with a lot of morrison stuff where i feel like the best way to appreciate morrison is 10 years later three reads later and that <laughs> and, and i don't think that's good i i, I don't yeah. think that that's a good thing i think it's something that that is true but not good oh See, I well, think that's the best thing, though, because then it it is it's something that you I mean, how many comics do you actually read regularly that you you want to return to and re think about re, and re, yeah, rethink and like that have enough depth and layering that you can actually get significantly different reads or or takes on multiple rereads i think that there's a place for that but the place for that shouldn't be at the detriment of the initial reading experience i guess i i guess i just i disagree i think i i want that even if i like you will never you will never read it a second time if it doesn't get you the first time but i did I'm not talking though. about this exact. We're we're talking bigger picture now, right? But like, I don't I, know if that's necessarily true either, though. Like, but I like, I don't, I don't know what you mean by not not getting, not grabbing you. Like, I just think this is a shitty final issue. I just think it drops the ball on the <laughs> on the on the series. I don't think it's very good. I think it's it's overstuffed and undercooked. I don't I don't think it does what it's supposed to do. I think what you I, just, I, I think what you're getting. I think from it this, does exactly what it sets because you've read it three so. times over ten years. That's well, not, I think I thought that the first time. I, I maybe you did. To me, it's 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 a bad final issue. I really I was loving this event, and I came out of it thinking like, "Wow, he fucked the ending there." I do not like that. Um, 
I do agree that it's a tough it's a tough task for a first time reader to. And I'm not saying it's not your fault at all, Brian. But like, sure. The the way no the way that <laughs> the way that Morrison structured this is intentionally, um, obtuse for a first time reader, and that bleeds into the finale, which I think like, I agree with Zach that it's all here. I just don't like the execution necessarily. Um, and again, it's only a few pages that I really have issue with, but like, it is, it is tough to see, like you're saying the spider stuff. If you're looking for the connection specifically between the seven heroes and what they've got going on, all of a sudden the spider thing that's more important than you thought it was the Oracles stuff could completely elude you the first time you read this it's almost just like thrown in here at the very like it's alluded yeah. to in some of the other things but it's like you get this whole origin of oracles here in this which, last which, issue which after two or three readings i think is is brilliant kirby-esque stuff the whole thing is done kirby style right and it in, it includes arthurian legend and all that stuff and reestablishes the secret history of the dcu out of nowhere you know and like <laughs> I think I think it's brilliant and I think it's brilliantly done here but I could see first time readers because that wasn't a thread that was that the the focus was put on throughout seeing that as something that was thrown in because it was it was what? like I'll, as much as I like it I admit that it was like thrown in seemingly as an afterthought so that the first time you read through it your your eyes not on the you're it's not following drag. the bounce yeah, you're not following the bouncing ball, you know. Uh, I mean, let's also be like this is a this is a sensibility thing. Like I just want anything I engage with to be as obtuse and impenetrable as possible. For, oh, for sure. We read, uh, you know, I read a dozen comics a week that I read, nod my head, and never think about again for as long as I live. Sure, and you know? I don't I don't want that either. I just think, and I think that. Again, this is a 30-issue event. I think 29 issues were leading someplace, and I just feel like this doesn't this doesn't go I where mean, it was like, leading. I, I play Kingdom Hearts, so... <laughs> Kingdom Hearts at least has, like, a couple hours at the end where they, like, devote to, like, paying off the game. You know, like... I mean, questionably, they do. I don't... <laughs> someone would argue... I mean, I love it, but um, I I feel like there I feel like the Venn diagram of the reason I like Morrison works and the reason I like like Namora stuff is almost a circle. So Zach said um, Zach said exactly the wrong thing to get Brian to change his mind on this. One. I wasn't trying to. I wasn't trying. I to. have no opinion on Kingdom Hearts. It makes Zach happy, so it makes me happy. But I have I have no opinion on Kingdom Hearts whatsoever. I wasn't trying. I, I was. I was. Um, I was trying to explain maybe why we agree to disagree. And again, like, you guys think, what? Oh, sorry. I was just say. Do you guys think like if 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 Grant Morrison had like complete control over like the scope of this series, like would he really just? devote like one issue would he really like not like spend more time i mean this really it might need like a little bit more plot but i feel like this could be like a six issue miniseries and they could have like 
you know, so so much more room for like these newspaper pages. I mean, like especially it's like they do the newspaper pages like the first time and then they do that like clarion text piece again, you know? Mhm. Mhm. Yeah, I don't I don't know. Um I don't I don't think he would have made this a whole like mini series like maybe maybe if it had been like a little bit longer it's already you know it's already a double-sized issue but making it you know a little bit more i i feel like it's intentional uh, i i feel like this is what he wanted and especially when you like look at the you know they include some of the script pages um in the back matter of the trades and and you know, not all of them, obviously, but I, I think I, I feel like this is probably pretty true to his intention. I, I don't know that, though. Um, and that's the impression that I get also. But I think that there's a reason why, like, Grant Morrison was named editor-in-chief of Heavy Metal Comics. And I don't know if anything ever came of that, because I feel like he's not I a person to be editor in chief of anything because he's all ideas and no form. And that's what mm. I feel this issue is. It's all ideas and no form. But yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, you're honestly like, you're probably right. Or, or too much, too many forms even. Yeah. Well, that, know, that's fine too. Yeah. Not just, a cohesive form. Right. Yeah. Right, yeah. 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 Yeah, and I again, yeah, I I don't actually disagree with you, but I think it's just the differences between us are like I, like that doesn't bother me at all. I, I guess see, and we have to wrap this up. We've been talking for two hours about this comic now, but I I feel like it doesn't bother me from an I from a um, conceptual standpoint. I just think that as a reader putting all the time into this, it didn't do the thing I wanted it to do at the end. And that's not even like a story. I'm having a hard time. I, I hate how I'm sounding. I'm sounding like the derps who didn't like the end of The Sopranos because it was unclear. I don't mean that. <laughs> um, like I, I like ambiguity in what I read, and I, I like the fact that Morrison books. I can think about them and have different takes and all of that. I just feel like this issue doesn't. It just doesn't it doesn't execute it for me. That's, that's all it comes down to. I don't think it was sure. done very well. Sure. This might be the biggest fight we've had on the show in a long time. I'm really surprised by it. It was very polite. <laughs> that's that's how we fight. <laughs> we we, yeah. we we fight and just uh, you know, I, I you you can tell we're not really mad because one of us didn't try and use Lindelof on the other one to uh, <laughs> to uh, to prove a point. I was gonna I for was gonna mention I was gonna mention how uh, Seven Soldiers is the lost of the comic world i can see it <laughs> yeah oh well i mean lost had a good ending too so no it didn't <laughs> oh here we go here we go, here we go. No, it had, it had, it had, an okay, had an okay ending oh, it had signing, a good ending. i'm signing off i'm gonna let you guys keep going on that well anyway oh thank... man brian i'm really now i'm really nervous for when we get to final crisis i'm afraid what's no, gonna happen I, I like final crisis it's just not my favorite crisis Oh, but I'm I'm just afraid. I'm afraid of the things that you're going to say, and the, I'm afraid of how triggered I'm going to get. No, I, I don't think you have to worry about Final Crisis. 
don't know. We'll see. I'm telling you, you don't have to. I'm telling you, I've I've read Final Crisis multiple times. So ne- so apparently, I have I have passed the secret handshake club of reading something more than once, and so therefore I can I can speak with it on authority with with authority rather. So. I'm not just some noob who's, uh, whose opinions shouldn't be trusted. <laughs> oh, anyway. man. Anyway, thank you all for listening, folks. We truly appreciate it. Alexander, where can folks find you on the internet if they want to find you on the internet or if you want to be found on the internet? <laughs> Very simple. I am at Alex and Comics on Twitter. It's nice and simple. We appreciate that. Uh, you can find two thirds of us on Twitter. I am at Brian is an app, and I am at Wilker Fox. If you need to find Vince, he is tearing out all of the newspaper pages from his Seven Soldiers number one, so he has a pure experience of reading the comic. <laughs> yeah, the Ostrowski Bible. <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't understand any of it that way, though. But it's fine. This is going to tear us apart. <laughs> well, it's either that or love. Yes. Yeah. Tune in next week to see if it did. Good night, folks. You, know, you complain you have too many comics to read, but you're also reading The <laughs> Hobbit, the and you're reading One Piece, and you're because reading Deathstroke. Because those are the Death things Stroke. I want to do. <laughs> I want to do all those things, but then I've got to read these other things. And it's just, I'm the, the two wolves inside of me are at war. And which one do I feed? I don't know.